Zillennials podcast. Today on Zillennials, we have a book club episode. We're going to be talking about Quiet, the Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. So why did we pick this book? I suggested it to you. I read it a few years ago and I picked it because it really resonated with me because I do think that I am an introvert and also I had a lot of frustration with the education system and the emphasis they put on in-class participation. And so I think this book kind of made it seem like just because you don't want to raise your hand in class and like spew out whatever comes to mind first, like it doesn't mean that you're like, that there's something wrong with you, which I feel like it's, I didn't necessarily think there was something wrong with me, but it was frustrating because teachers would expect me to behave a certain way in class and it just like went against who I was. And so when I read this book, it was kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like one of those moments where you feel like you're seen. And so I thought it'd be a good book to read. I can totally agree with you in which there were some moments where I felt like I was very seen in this book, where I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. And I didn't know how to verbalize it before, but this is exactly how I feel. I think you're right in the sense that if you're somebody who has introverted tendencies Whether or not you identify as an introvert, I think that there are some really good points in the book that can definitely make you feel seen. And I think that it's also really good for helping you to develop self-awareness. So Leanne, would you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert? I would definitely consider myself an introvert, partially because of my experiences in school and how they lined up with the experiences in the book of introverts, and also kind of how the book emphasizes that the main thing that differentiates you between an introvert and extrovert is how to recharge. And I'm totally that person where it's be home alone. Even sometimes with friends, like I go out, I have a great time. And then afterwards, I'm like, I'm good, you know? (laughs) So I think that's another thing because I was like, I very clearly kind of when I go out with people, I have a good time, but like I feel tired after that. And from what I understand is like, if you're an extrovert, that's how you feel alive. What about you? I would have to say that I'm probably a little bit more of an ambivert. I think that there are some times where I can be extremely extroverted and going and spending time with friends does recharge me. But I think that for the most part, I feel most recharged when I have some time to myself. Quite honestly, for me, the perfect day is I get home from work, I walk to the library, I check out some books, I stroll around for like an hour or so more, I come home. I draw a little bit, eat dinner, and go to sleep. Like, it involves no more contact with people. So that's kind of how I would describe myself as a little bit of both, but I think I lean a little bit more towards the introverted side. And I think part of why I lean more towards that introverted side is because, like, for example, and this is not a knock on any of my friends, but if I make plans with a friend, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to go. I just want to stay home. And I'm like, I know once I get there, I will love it and I will thoroughly enjoy it. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I could just be sitting at home sipping hot cocoa. So I know it's good for me and I know that I enjoy it when I do it. But I do have that initial moment of, oh man, but I could be alone. (laughs) I don't know. Do you feel that way ever? Yeah, I totally understand that. And I think this happens more when 
I don't make the plans because I think as an introvert, it's like if I'm the one making the plans, it's like when I'm ready to have that social interaction. But I know when other people suggest plans, I'll be like, yeah, I'll go. But in my head, I'm kind of like, hmm, if this falls through, like, would I be mad? And the thing is, is like you said, it's like once I go, like, I'm fine. I love it. Like, love my friends. Nothing against any of them. But it's like that thing I think with like an introvert, it's like you kind of have to hype yourself up. Like, even if it's people you know you like. Exactly. You're like, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to go. You're going to have brunch. It'll be wonderful. Yeah, you kind of got to give yourself that little pep talk. I definitely feel that. So is there a specific time in which you realized that you were an introvert? I'm not sure. I think, honestly, I think it might have been around when I first read this book. So I'd say maybe like late teens. For me, it was kind of the same thing. I think I realized that I absolutely despised public speaking when I was in middle school because I had to take a public speaking class because I chose not to take Spanish class because I wanted to take art. Um, I think I realized that I was more introverted in middle school because my public speaking class, there were only about five kids in that class and I was still terrified. And so um, it was definitely better than what it would have been if I was giving a whole class presentation, but it did make me very nervous. And I think even in middle school, I knew that I was not a big fan of popcorn reading or speaking up to answer questions in class. And if I did speak up to answer a question in class, I had to have everything written down so I could just read it right off of the paper because otherwise I would get too nervous. So one thing I think is kind of interesting is I am very much an introvert, but in terms of doing a presentation, I never got nerves about that. As long as I was able to work at it at home and then like go up there, I'd be fine. Like I would never volunteer to go, but like when the teacher called on me, like I didn't feel nauseous or anything. So that's one thing I think is kind of interesting, but like you were saying about answering questions in class, that's when I would freeze up because it's like, if the teacher just called on you, you had no preparation time. And that's what made me panic. Yeah. And I think that that's something that is changing more in the education world now today. Back when we were going to school, that would have been considered best practice or like one of the best techniques to use is things like popcorn reading. Whereas nowadays, they're very much like if you assign kids reading, you tell them which paragraph they're going to read beforehand because it helps kids who have anxiety or who have reading difficulties because they can read over it several times. But in all honesty, even then, I'm not a huge fan of doing something like that because I look at it and I don't know about you, but being a nervous speaker, I would literally not pay attention to anything any kid said before me. And I would just continually read my paragraph so I could make sure that I wasn't going to make any mistakes. I think I don't have that problem if it was just reading something in class. But I definitely remember having that come up in like Chinese class where, you know, you would get the homework, which was usually some sort of included some sort of worksheet. And I know when we were in Chengdu, they did this. And my professors at, you know, my home university did the thing where they would just call on you or they'd go up and down the rows. And I think I would spend more time trying to count ahead to what question I would answer and like double and triple checking my work than like paying attention to what the other people were saying. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's really interesting 
because I know that teachers use that as a method to like check your work in class, especially if it's like you're going over a worksheet or something. But I think that it honestly does cause a little bit more nervousness from students. And part of the reason why teachers have students read out their answers like that is because they get evaluated on class participation. And so if an administrator comes into your room, they want to see that your class is actively participating. So if you just read out the answers, it wouldn't be considered like that same active participation. And I think that one of the things that really played into that fear of speaking in front of a class was something that they actually talked about in the book, which was evaluation apprehension, where you are afraid of being judged or looking dumb. That was something that I had to an extreme as a kid. Like, I remember in high school, one time I had to give a speech in front of, I think it was my freshman year English class, and my hands were purple and shaking by the time I got up there. I think I definitely have that. It's kind of hard to tell because, you know, as a person, it's not just one thing that makes you up. So it's like, you know, which part does do these different things come from? But I think the combination of my introversion and my perfectionism made me really paranoid about giving wrong answers in class. And so this kind of leads to like what part of the book resonated the most to me. And it was that I think it was chapter 11, the part, the chapter on raising introverted children in a world that's kind of meant for extroverts and kind of their experiences in the classroom. And this was talked about in that chapter, but also in the section of additional materials at the end, they kind of summarized them. I think one of the points that I think would be really helpful for some of the teachers that I had is wait five seconds after asking the question because I think for me at least the second I heard my name for the first like I feel like for the first few seconds I was just full like panicking like flipping out like what's this question what am I supposed to answer and so I think sometimes some teachers would kind of get frustrated with that And I remember one time specifically during review for an AP test, like a teacher called on me and, you know, I did my usual thing where like I just kind of freaked out and stared like, you know, like deer in the headlights for a little. I specifically remember him saying like, oh, we don't have time for this and like called on someone else. And so like I was relieved because I didn't have to answer, but it was also kind of like, oh, like I did something wrong. Like I should have been able to answer this. I feel like that dismissiveness can be really harmful, especially for kids. I know that I do try to give my kids five seconds to answer, so sometimes I'll wait. Sometimes I'll ask the same question again, just in case they didn't catch it the first time. It's easier to gauge their reactions in person, though, rather than online, because I think this is probably a trend across many different places right now. But online, a lot of kids don't like to have their cameras on, so it's hard for me to tell if they're paying attention if something else is going on at home that's maybe being a distraction to them and so sometimes it's a little bit harder in my mind to give them the five seconds now so I do try to say that I I try to say things twice and give them five seconds after but if I say it twice or three times and nobody answers then I'll just kind of do a check-in with the class and I'll be like hey is everybody okay today like what's going on are you all tired and just kind of you know, seeing what's going on. Is it that we don't know the answer or is that, or is it that it's 8.30 in the morning and you're still half asleep? Because I would be the 8.30 in the morning and still half asleep. I think 
That's totally a good point. I know the book mentioned how the educators need to rethink class participation and like different metrics for measuring that. And I know one professor I had, one thing that he had as a weekly assignment was talking points. And so we'd have our assigned readings for the week. And I think they would do like the Sunday before. And in the talking points, we had to write one or two paragraphs about the readings that we did. And I think that's a great way to alternative method because you're testing if the students actually read the material. And also, it gives me something to fall back on in class. So if I did want to say something, I had something prepared already. Or if he would call on me, I already had some, like I already thought about it ahead of time. And I think something simple like that could really help introverted students because I think that's what we need the most is just the time to think about it before we speak. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's something that's really important. And I think that hopefully teachers will recognize that more and more moving forward. I think that with the way that teaching's going right now, it's definitely more geared towards focusing on the needs of each individual student or what we call differentiation for students. And so I think that we'll probably continue to see more of that in the future, especially because quite a few kids now have things like anxiety or depression. And so if you have like anxiety, obviously being put on the spot to answer a question is going to be really difficult for you. So it's much better to have those sort of talking points that you can kind of fall back on and reference. The only time at which that might not work is I know that One thing that they're pushing in schools now is trying to give less homework. And so if you plan on having them read something and then talking about it in class the next day, you would kind of have to assign it as homework. So I think that's the only sort of gray area there is that is something that some some schools are trying to get away from. I think with that, another bullet point that they mentioned on this is if you are grading on class participation, because I don't know about you, I think starting in high school, pretty much every class I had had a class participation component, which essentially meant how much are you raising your hand? So the suggestion from this book says, don't just do a participation grade, like give separate points for content knowledge and participation. So then it's like, not as detrimental to an introvert's grade. And it also said it's like, and I think this could be more work on the teacher's part in a way, but is to pay attention to more subtle versions of participation. Like, you know, is the kid listening? Are they taking notes? Like, don't just consider how much they talk. Definitely. And that was something that I thought was a really interesting point that was brought up in the book when they were talking about cultural differences too. And they were talking about how in different cultures, Some places value choosing your words very intentionally versus just getting your thoughts out there. And America is someplace that focuses more on how well can you speak rather than the quality of the idea itself. So I think that kind of ties into what you're saying, where it's like judge also on the quality of the work or the quality of the participation. For example, if you have an introvert who doesn't participate often, but when they do, it's a very well thought out answer. I think that that's something for the teacher to take into account. And I think something for me is in high school, there was one specific teacher. And I know in college, I think I had a couple of teachers where 
I participated in those classes at a significantly higher rate. And I think it was a mix between, I don't know, one day I, you know, decided to raise my hand. I said something and it's like got really positive feedback from participating. And then it's like, as I did that, I felt more comfortable with in that environment participating. And I think to the point of kind of paying attention to your students, I know specifically in the high school teacher I'm talking about and one of the college professors is they got very good at noticing the subtle cues I would have when I wanted to participate. For example, it's like I wouldn't, I would very rarely fully raise my hand. And so I know it's kind of a joke with, I think it's the high school teacher where it's like, I think he, I don't remember exactly what he called it, but he basically called it like the Leanne elbow raise because I would just kind of like twitch my elbow up. And like, that's how he knew I was raising my hand because I was like, I think I wasn't confident enough to fully raise it, but he he learned like what it looked like for me. And so it's it's kind of funny, but I think it also shows like the mark of a good teacher. Definitely. Is there anything that you got out of this section that you would apply to your classroom? I think one of the things that I thought was really interesting is to not see shy or introverted kids in high interaction areas of the classroom, because those higher interaction areas are what we call the T-zone, which essentially means the front row and the middle. And so that T-zone tends to be, I would say, a more high interaction area because you've got people walking past you. You've got, you're in the front row, so if you're seen, you're likely going to be called on, things like that. But I thought that it was interesting that they said not to put them in high interaction areas because if a student is placed in the T-zone in the classroom, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure I've heard of studies that essentially say students placed in the T-zone do better than anywhere else in the classroom. And so I thought that that was interesting. And it kind of made me wonder where is the best place to place my introverted students? Like, is it at the front of the classroom so I can see those little signs like you were talking about? Or is it more so like tucked away to a side so they feel like they have their own space? But that was definitely something that got me thinking a lot about my own classroom. That's actually a really good point because I noticed more in college because that's where you could choose where to sit. And I would almost always choose a seat in the first two rows. Like I wanted to be near the front. I really don't know why. I think part of it could be just because I'm short. And if I sit in the back, like there's too many people in front of me and then I can't see the board. And I I think I was also very academically high achieving. So it's like I wanted to be in the front. But I thought that's interesting with like being an introvert. You think that maybe I would choose somewhere else to sit. Where did you sit? Um, I pretty much always sat, like you said, in like the front two to three rows. I never liked being in the back of the classroom also because I wear glasses. So, you know, if I if I lost my glasses, which happens more than you would think, I'm I lose things a lot. So if I had forgotten my glasses that day or something, I wanted to make sure that I could still see for the most part. So I always tried to pick somewhere that was either in like the front row or the second row. And I never really gravitated towards the sides of the classrooms. I liked being more in the middle. I wonder if that like had any role in our success academically. Would we have had different experiences if we had sat elsewhere? What I think is kind of interesting about that is like, did we do well because we chose to sit there or did we choose to sit there because we were going to do well anyway? I don't know. Or maybe we like subconsciously knew that that was the best spot to sit. 
you know, maybe just like through years of observing. I, I, I don't know. I'm probably not that uh, observant, quite honestly. <laughs> so I know that my, I think my main takeaway was from this, the education section. What part of the book spoke to you the most? I think I would have to agree. I think the education section for sure, just because it's very relevant to how I grew up because I was always like a very academically oriented person. And then I'm still in a classroom today. And so that's part of the reason why I feel like that section really spoke to me is because it made me wonder, you know, how how can I help the introverts in my class to set them up for success? And so that was something that, like you said, kind of stuck with me. Another part that really stuck with me, though, was the whole part about workplace setup. I thought that that was just fascinating. So for the workplace setup, one of the things that I thought was so interesting is the amount of square footage per employee has shrunk over the last couple of years. And it used to be something like 700-ish square feet. Probably not the exact number, but 700-ish square feet per employee. And now it's closer to like 300-ish per employee because offices are doing this open concept type of thing. And then it immediately made me think about like, man, if I ever have to do another job interview, that's totally going to be a question that I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask, how do you set up your workplace for introverts to succeed? Because I feel like that is a question that would trip up so many employers and really show how their workplace operates. It totally reminds me, I think we're having a discussion some other time about open concept like workspaces. And I think I absolutely do not like them. Like, I don't think I would mind if there was an area that you could go to if you wanted to work in that space. But I think for me personally, like, I would need my own space. And like I said before, I'm not that high maintenance. Like, I count a cubicle. Like, I would be, I mean, I'd want an office, but like, I would be fine with a cubicle because it's like, it has mini walls. A cubicle at least has a place for you to put your stuff. It did talk about how all these companies kind of thought, oh, you know, we want collaboration. So let's tear down these walls. And then because I know they talked about I think they talked about New Balance. I know they talked about some sneaker place and they talked about video game developers where they thought, oh, it'd be really good to have open concept and collaboration. And it actually just like the people didn't want that. And so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it was definitely really interesting. And then one of the things that I thought was just would really bug me about open concept is, could you imagine if you're sitting, so let me set the scene for you. You're sitting in this beautiful open concept room. You have these floor to ceiling windows, your coworkers next to you, their phone rings. They start talking on their phone and then your phone rings and you're trying to hold a conversation with somebody who's on the phone with you while your coworker right next to you is having a conversation with whoever they are talking to. That would drive me nuts. I don't think I could do that because I'm somebody who, if I hear somebody else talking and there's like two different conversations going on, I can't handle it. It drives me crazy. And I think that that's something that I really realized my first year of teaching because my first year of teaching, I didn't realize how sometimes students will start to talk when you're talking. And I remember I'd get up to the front of the classroom and I'd be talking and trying to teach and then somebody else would talk and I would get so discombobulated that I would just lose my train of thought and just stop. And I would have to like regroup and be like, okay, 
here's what I was talking about because I would just lose my train of thought. Yeah, no, I, I think they talked about it in the book too, where it's like if you're in this kind of open environment, like you're saying, you're always hearing your coworkers say stuff from what I've heard from, you know, people who have been in those open concept areas where it's like, if you had to have like a one-on-one meeting with someone or like you're making a phone call, people would have to leave their desks to go find some like empty conference room or something because it's like you can't have those types of conversation at your desk. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting too is when they were talking about how the human brain is not meant to multitask. And I'm just like, you would be so over, or at least for me, I feel like I would be so overstimulated all the time being in an environment where there'd be all these people around me. People would be coming up to my desk to chat with me while I'm in the middle of doing something and I'd have to put it on hold to have that conversation. So I feel like it would be very difficult to accomplish what would be easier to accomplish on my own. Yeah, because I think it's one of those things where let's say you really are trying to focus. And I think unless your workplace allows you to, you know, have headphones and listen to music, I think you would overhear people's conversations even when you weren't trying to. And I feel like that could be very distracting. One thing that I did like they mentioned in the book was like, I think he was a CEO. So like, or someone high up, I don't remember. But I don't think it's like, Someone like fresh out of college who got their first job who gets this, but they're talking about a person who had basically an office with like a removable wall that you could like slide to open to the rest of the office, like the open plan office when you wanted to. But if you needed that time to like get stuff done, you could close it. And I think like you were saying when you interview for a job is that could be an answer to like, how do you cater to both? Because I think even as an introvert, like sometimes you do want that but to have the option to close yourself off. I agree. Because being an introvert does not mean that you don't want human interaction whatsoever. It just means that you want it when you want it. You're kind of like a cat. When you're ready for human interaction, you will go and seek it out. But otherwise, you're just vibing over on your own. Also, another thing that you reminded me of when you were talking about how you could overhear your coworkers' conversations, could you imagine if you accidentally overheard a piece of hot gossip that you were not supposed to hear. I feel like it could cause so much workplace drama. Yeah, no, like, or even like, I don't know, it's like maybe not even like gossip, but let's say you hear some like conversation about like, oh, the company's going to go this way or the company's going to do go that way. And then it makes you nervous or you're excited about it, but it doesn't actually happen. And then there's either this excitement or this stress for absolutely no reason. Yeah, or like, for example, if the company's discussing potentially letting people go, and you were to overhear something like that, could you imagine? Like, I would be so stressed. So I think that for that reason, sometimes some conversations are better had in private spaces rather than open concept areas, which isn't to say that open concept areas are not good. I just don't think that I would personally function well in that. Do you remember when we were talking about this and I think your brother walked in and <laughs> And then you asked him, hey, what do you think about open concept office spaces? And he was literally just kind of like, I don't care. Like, they're great. They work. And and then we looked at each other and we're like, this is literally the difference. Like, right here. It's like, because I think you said, was he like a business major or finance major or something? And so it's like, you can tell that it's it's very, um, there are certain sectors that I think it 
works for more than others. Yeah, he he studied an area in business. And so, man, for that, I look at it too and I'm like, it totally suits his personality because he's one of those people who's always cracking jokes and he's very sassy. And so I could totally see him thriving in an open concept workspace. And I think that's a really good point is that these thoughts and feelings towards open concept are completely different based on the person. I think that the tricky part of a workspace, whether it is more traditional and closed off, like in that space, you would have to make room for your extroverts, like give them a place to socialize and to, you know, collaborate in kind of like a more open setting. But then on the flip side, if your office space is open office space, then you need to create those spaces for the introverts. Because I think either like every workplace is going to have both. And I think every workspace is going to kind of be set up, you know, more compatible with one rather than the other. And so to make sure that there is room for both, I think is really important. I think what you're saying is a great point. You really want to make sure you're not isolating either group. You want to give the introverts a little bit of what they need and the extroverts a little bit of what they need. Like, could you imagine if you had, this is just me dreaming here, but could you imagine if you had your own office and then you had a room of like comfy chairs and beanbags where everybody could go and work together? That sounds like an ideal workspace. I would love to work somewhere like that. One other thing I wanted to mention, because I think other than the education stuff, it kind of stuck out to me the most is that introverts are not the same thing as shy people. And I think people, and maybe even myself, are kind of confused by me with that because it's like, I am very introverted, but I'm not shy. Like, if I, you know, and another thing is like introverts are very comfortable with like a small, close group of friends and like with them, I kind of am like the loud, like boisterous one in a way. So like sometimes people would be, it's like I almost had like two different personalities like I had in class me, which like wouldn't say anything. And I'm pretty sure my other classmates were like, does this girl talk? But then my friends are like, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of known as the loud one. I kind of like salty about that (laughs) because I say I just get really excited. And that's how I express my excitement. But I think people are kind of surprised if they first meet me or if like they're like a new friend. Where, like, when they first meet me, I'm kind of quiet and, like, not as out of my shell. And then as they get to know me, I just kind of go explode out of my shell. I don't know. I think I'm rambling at this point. But I think that's very important for people who are introverts or even people who are like, oh, I'm an extrovert because I'm, like, you know, louder, like, social with my friends or something like that. Where it's, like, shy is different. And I think part of that also plays into how comfortable are you with the situation? Like, Leon, I look at you and I think that you're somebody who'd be definitely, like you're saying, more comfortable in a smaller group setting. But I think if you were, say, for example, in a group of 30 people, I don't see you being somebody who's going to be ridiculously loud and outspoken. I think that you'd be somebody who kind of hangs back and observes a little bit more before you engage. That's pretty accurate. Like, I know... I've talked to my friend Layla about this and like I think she also considers herself like more on the introverted side but the thing is that she's mentioned which I've noticed too is 
she said that if she's with another introvert, she'll become like the extroverted one. Air quotes that no one can see. Because <laughs> like, let's say like if we're if we're at a restaurant or something and there's like we need something or like, I don't know, something comes up. It's like she'll most likely be the one to like flag the waiter down or something. But it's because she's it's, in this example, it's like she's with me where I'm like, I'd just be fine. Like, I don't need a fork. Like, what's the problem? Yeah. And I think that's something to realize is just every social situation is different. So it's really going to take a while of getting to know somebody to know what social situations they're comfortable in versus not comfortable in. And I think that it's really important to communicate that to people who you're interacting with. For example, I know they had a ton of anecdotes within the book. And I think there was one about a husband and a wife where the husband wanted to host dinner parties every single Friday of the year. And she was like, I cannot do that. That would be far too much for me. And so they had to kind of communicate and work it out and find a solution that worked for both of them because he was more extroverted and she was more introverted. I remember that part. I also remember a part in the book that was kind of talking about how as humans, and I think this works for like extroverts and introverts, we're kind of like rubber bands where even an introvert can be extroverted in the like correct situations or not correct, like in situations that they feel comfortable doing it. Like it was talking about for something that you feel passionate about or like, you know, your job or something like that. Like you could kind of present yourself as more extroverted because you're like, that's something that's important to you. So you'll you know, do the things that you have to do. And I think one thing that they mentioned in that is like, you know, there was that professor who's apparently like has a really big personality when he's teaching. But then I think he's like in some cabin in the Canadian woods is like where he lives. And that's kind of like the point where it's like, you know, those people who only know him in classic. Oh, wow. He must be like this crazy extrovert when in reality he like lives in the woods. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to that because I feel like when I run a classroom, I feel like I have to put on this show. I feel like it's almost like entertaining all the time where you're trying to present information in a way that's almost kind of like, wow, look at this. Isn't this so cool? And you're trying to engage your class in conversation. So I feel like you do have to kind of put out a more extroverted front. But if you were to go and talk to my coworkers, they would tell you that I am like extremely introverted, definitely on the shyer side. And so it's interesting because that's the same environment, if you will. It's just with different groups. And because of what is required in each group, it changes how I interact with people. It reminds me too, do you remember the part in the book where they were talking about, I think it was a, I don't know if it was the same professor or a different professor who was at this conference and they like asked him to come and he did his whole presentation and he was fine. And then they asked him to come to some luncheon and then he made up this like, he was like, oh, I really like boats. And the campus was near like a marina. So, <laughs> so he like went, he's like, oh, I, you know, I don't usually get to see them. Like, so he went down at when the luncheon was happening and just watched these boats. And then he kept being invited back. And every single time he would just go watch the boat. So he had like this fake hobby because he knew he needed time to himself. And then when they moved the campus inland, and he had no excuse anymore because there's no boats to watch. Yeah. And then he was like, uh, yeah. So then I just started hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I've never related to anything more in my life. And then the part where he was like, he was in the bathroom 
And then I guess someone saw his shoes and started talking to him. And so then after that, he would sit in the bathroom with like his feet tucked up. And I totally like understand that. Yeah. But I also can totally understand where he's coming from, where it's like, sometimes you just need to remove yourself from the situation. Like I remember when I was in middle school, the big to do among my friends and I is we would eat our lunch and then we would go to the library for the rest of lunch because the lunchroom was so loud and we were all like, yeah, we don't want to be like in this loud environment. We want to go to the library because it's peaceful. Which I think is a good point is a lot of this is about whether you are an introvert or an extrovert is knowing who you are because I know the book talks about this where it's like just to be able to self-regulate and to know when you do need to like kind of step back and when you're okay in those environments. Definitely. So what was your overall impression of the book? I think I really liked it for the reasons we already discussed. I know the first part of the book, I think, was a lot more sciencey about the scientific aspects of like what makes an introvert and what makes an extrovert. And I thought those were parts were interesting, but I don't think they stuck with me in the same way as the later half of the book. What about you? See, that's interesting because I feel like in the first half of the book, it maybe went a little bit quicker than the second half of the book for me. Overall, I think that I liked the book. I think that there were times at which I felt like it was kind of stroking your ego if you were an introvert, like, oh, yes, you are like such and such a great person. And I don't know, I think it was just something to take as a grain of salt. You know, there are great introverts, but there's also great extroverts. And so to realize that both can be successful is really important. And I understand that the point of this book was to publish for the introverts because we are a group that is so often swept under the rug. But that was something that I did notice throughout the book was sometimes I felt like it was maybe a little bit too much. I think that's definitely her audience, like you can tell. I know she also kind of mentions too, I think just more briefly, like there's not that much of an emphasis on it, like kind of saying like this book isn't to bash on extroverts. But I think I can see how it kind of was very like, kind of like a pep talk to the introverts kind of thing. But I think in a way, I feel like introverts kind of need it in a way that extroverts don't because you hear so much about how extroverts do well, how they're set up for success, how you can do this. So I think it is I think as long as you realize that that's what's going on, because like you said, realize the lens that she's using. But I think as long as you do realize that and you are an introvert, I think that it's just kind of nice to see it typed out like someone else sees these things or thinks the same things that you do. And that just because you are introverted doesn't mean you can't be in a leadership position I think I can see what you're saying where it was very validating because I agree with you that it was very validating. I just think that you do need to, like you're saying, realize the lens that she's portraying everything through. And I think overall, I thought that the book was a good read. I would probably wait a couple of years before I picked it up again. But I think overall it was pretty good. I think towards the end, maybe there were a couple too many anecdotes. But overall, I think it was a pretty enjoyable read, and I'd recommend it to a friend, especially an introverted friend. I think like you're saying, it's not the book you're going to read every year. Like, I think it's at least like three, four, maybe five years since I've read it. But I think that it's a good book. 
I think like the book itself says where it's like it's good for introverts and it's also good for extroverted people that, you know, let's say have a kid who introverted in a relationship with someone who's introverted because it kind of shows how they're thinking. And I think it's I don't know, I think it's just good to understand how other people think or how their personalities are based because it just sets up more success for other things. I think you're right in that it does definitely help to spread awareness about introverts and kind of the way that we process information. So we hope you enjoyed our discussion on quiet. You can let us know in an email or a comment on our Instagram, whether you're an introvert, whether you know someone, or share your thoughts if you've read this book. We'd love to hear them. And for our book club next month, we will be reading How Much of These Hills Are Gold by C. Pam Zhang. So feel free to read along with us and share your thoughts. If you have any thoughts on this episode, feel free to contact us through our email and Instagram. And don't forget to review Zillennials Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Zillennials Podcast on Instagram or email us at zillennialspodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit the subscribe button and stay a while. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.